I'm Keon Rose. Thank you for listening to The Essayist, a thoughtful look at sports, politics, culture, and more. This is the first episode of The Sports Essay, an essay about sports, why we like them, and how we can try to make the world a better place. Today, we're talking about sports scandal culture. When the games aren't happening, there's nothing more important or fun than a scandal. Forget free agency. Forget the draft. Just forget all the ancillary dates on the sports calendar. Selection Sunday for college hoops? Forget it. The beginning of training camp in the NFL? Please. The Olympic Committee deciding the location of the next Winter Games? Okay, that one was a little bit silly, but the point still stands. None of these things are better than a good scandal. As sports fans, we live for this stuff. So much so, in fact, that we turn things that are not scandals into scandals. Johnny Manziel throws a water bottle at a heckling fan, and that's a scandal, apparently. Never mind that this is hardly surprising, given both Manziel's history of immaturity and the fact that, you know, the fan was a jerk and deserved it, the only unfortunate part of the incident being that the bottle didn't actually hit the fan. We like scandals, so much so, in fact, that we take actual scandals and balloon them to impossible proportions. There are people right now, grown adults, seriously questioning the legacy of Tom Brady over Deflategate. What? That's insane. Tom's going into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot, no questions asked. To those people, I ask that they get over themselves and check their self-righteousness at the door. Deflated footballs have a minimal impact, if any, on the outcome of games. The worst thing Brady did was lie, and that's the part that keeps the scandal alive. But why keep scandals alive? How did we get here? How did we get to this point where we revel in the downfall of others? The answer to that question lies in a well-known bit of American history. Dateline, June 17, 1972, Washington, D.C. Burglars are arrested inside the office of the Democratic National Committee, the Watergate building, and so launched American scandal culture. The Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein uncovered President Nixon's involvement in the cover-up and relayed the story to the American people. This fundamentally changed the audience's relationship with the media. The scandal wasn't fun in games then. The country was upset about the possibility that their president might be a crook. The times were uncertain. The Vietnam War seemed never-ending, and in the midst of all that, the president of the United States was evidently not above being involved with burglaries and wiretapping the phones of his political opponents. Fast forward to 2015, past countless other scandals, and to another seemingly never-ending war and into a time when sports have never been bigger, and by extension, it's scandals. To further exaggerate the continuing change in times, 24-hour news coverage is satisfied to analyze, debate, and reiterate the same story. Four days! And this, of course, is no one's fault. That's just the way the game works. What else are they supposed to talk about? So we get wall-to-wall coverage of Tom Brady's deflated balls, and we get really bad jokes about Tom Brady's deflated balls. Everybody complains that this is a bad thing, yet, like the most gripping train wreck in Earth's history, nobody could look away. And ESPN catered to that. They gave us more of what they thought we wanted. Why not? Sports fans ate the last scandal up, featuring Jim Harbaugh and the exodus of what appears to be every San Francisco 49er not named Kaepernick. Sports fans ate up the one before that, too, featuring NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and an oddly missing video of Ray Rice punching his wife. Now the latest scandal involves a different kind of football, the original, actually, and its governing body FIFA. We don't even like soccer in America. 
The real issue is that we just like controversy. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Maybe we like scandals because watching someone rich and famous, someone we feel is bigger than us, in a manner of speaking, gets brought down to our size. Maybe our societal sense of Schadenfreude is growing. Or maybe we just like drama. Again, the reason doesn't matter. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. One can't help but wonder if our morbid curiosity can't be put to some good use, though. Back in the 70s, the Watergate scandal forever changed how politicians in America were viewed. The trust between people and government had eroded on some level. A healthy skepticism of politicians came about. We still get tricked, but no one is under the illusion that Obama only has the American people's best interest at heart, nor did Bush before him, or Clinton, or Reagan. We're all aware, and we, more or less, have Watergate to thank for that. Scandals now are frivolous. They're like CSI. It never ends, and there's far too many of them. So I get that it's hard to organize any kind of collective emotion at all, but sometimes something more than morbid curiosity is required. By viewing sports scandals like any other TV drama, we lose the ability to enact change as a culture and as a society. Liking scandals for their own sake literally robs us as sports fans and as people of any power we hold collectively. I present for your consideration Sepp Blatter and FIFA. According to the Washington Post, nine high-ranking FIFA officials were indicted for, quote, deep systematic corruption, unquote, of the beautiful game. The Post also reports that The 47-count indictment shows how $150 million in bribes were solicited by the soccer organization, including money that changed hands for the 2008 World Cup to be in South Africa. What was worse was despite the mounds of evidence and multiple indictments, FIFA president and professional weasel Sepp Blatter was re-elected to run the organization for a fifth term. The same organization that forced the World Cup to Qatar, a nation clearly unprepared for it. So far, the death toll in Qatar for the 2022 World Cup is around 1,200 workers. That's 1,200 human beings. The only thing worse or more alarming than the number of dead migrant workers, people who moved far from home to try and make a living, are how many of them are expected to die before this is all over. The Washington Post found some estimates to be as high as 2,800 workers. There's been bloodshed, and way too much of it, over a game. Sure, the most popular one on this planet, but a game all the same. Don't sports fans, the literal world over, have an obligation to act? Sepp Blatter, just four days after his arrogant speech in which he pronounced himself, quote, the president of everybody, unquote, stepped down as president of FIFA. This means one of two things happened. Either someone got Sepp Blatter to realize that he wasn't as untouchable as he thought, or, my personal favorite, Mr. Blatter looked in the mirror one of those mornings and didn't see a man or even a human being looking back at him. The former is far more likely than the latter, but a guy can dream, right? With Blatter out, FIFA automatically takes a giant step in the right direction. The system is still broken, though, and FIFA is in need of reform. I have a request to make. This call will likely fall on deaf ears because this podcast is new and people really, really, really love soccer. I do, too. But I'm going to ask anyway, why don't we kill FIFA together? Let's not watch the World Cup in 2018. Let's stop buying the video games. Let's choke the cancer out. Let's stop watching until the sponsors leave, Coke, Adidas, Bud Light, and everyone else. Because FIFA isn't, so far as we know, canceling the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. 
They're actually going to allow 4,000 people to die in Qatar. And you know what? They don't care. We fans think that we just have to sit there, eyes planted on the train wreck. And that's not true, because we can act. FIFA is big and we're small, so we think we can't do anything. Actually, the opposite is true. We're the only ones who can. For The Essayist, I'm Keon Rose.